Bum, 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 bum. My clock just turned eight o'clock. So yes, we're going live. There it is. So uh, welcome to very snowy Troy, New York, everyone. Dojo U Live is happening. Uh, I have some housekeeping things to do probably, but <clears throat> today I will answer the question that everyone's asking. You know, all... Uh, what is Dojo U Live, Andrew? You know, it's so funny you should ask that, Carl, because uh, I just happen to have a few bullet points. So um, a Dojo University membership features <clears throat> complete courses about every topic of bagpipe master you can dream of. That's actually pretty true lately. There's a couple more classes that we, uh, a couple more courses that we really need to finish, um, but they're like in progress and they're just kind of the icing on the cake. Like uh, we do have a lot of great courses. We have 10 or more live classes per week from the Dojo U staff and other world-renowned bagpipe instruction. You know, I'm grouping us in that. I think we're world-renowned at this point. A private Facebook group where the best pipers in the world are mixed with you, the bagpipe learner, uh, to give support along every step of your journey. So sign on to Facebook. There's a special Facebook group for you where, you know, we've assembled many, many, many of the world's best pipers to like, you know, uh, give you feedback or answers to questions or what have you. We have a daily dose program, a little daily bagpipe exercise workout you can do, which is pretty cool. Uh, we have discounts on supplies for uh, American Dojo U members. Uh, so that's all well and good. But Carl, we have a little problem. As people develop their bagpiping skills on our site each and every day, there's gotta be little checkpoints to shoot for to keep our heads straight and not get lost in the deep hole of bagpipe knowledge. This is terrible writing. Who wrote this? I think it was me. And uh, that's where Dojo U Live comes in. Each week we offer up a little mission to players at Dojo U. And I'll bring it up on our screen here so we can see this week's mission. Um, boop, boop, boop. Here we are. Uh, it says, welcome to Dojo U, Andrew. This week, learn the first and second parts of Cork Hill. Notice we're not necessarily memorizing this, right? Like, you know, you could if you want to. Certainly Cork Hill is not very hard to memorize. Uh, but you can also just put it up on a music stand. Uh, we want to uh, get this recorded uh, by just about this time is sort of the deadline uh, and submit your recording for feedback. And we have a very special way that we give feedback to recordings. What this does is it kind of simulates performance and it really gives us a good, honest checkpoint about where we are and hopefully what improvements have been made across the course of the week. So we now uh, have a bunch of submissions and, and we've sort of uh, curated a few of them for today's show, right? Um, so, so we should be ready to go with that, which is kind of exciting. Uh, some housekeeping details. My right eye is really itchy. Like I came into my office and it smells like cigarette smoke in here. What do you think? What do you think's going on with that? Where? Were you, uh, you know, did you get some of your French cigarette friends over here or what? <laughs> totally, man. I imported them just to, just to drive you nuts. Um, with that said, however, it's, it makes my eyes at you when I'm around cigarette smoke. So now, and now that I've touched my eye, it's just going to keep itching. So sorry about that. But more importantly, um, uh, we need a couple more signups for the Dojo You Cruise. So we'll talk more about the details of the Dojo U Cruise at the end of the show, but head over to cruise.dojouniversity.com if the inevitable happens and you find this show a little bit boring. 
because uh, we definitely uh, we definitely want you. We need a couple more to achieve our goal of breaking even on this uh, on this project that we do. And it's not really about profits, right? It's about trying to bring together as many dojo minded bagpipers as possible and have some good uh, some good learning experiences. Tony says the deep hole of bagpipe knowledge. Well, it's a little dramatic, right? When I said that, however, um, I've said it a bunch of times in the past, so you're not allowed to make fun of me for it now. Um, the other, the other, uh, the other thing I did, a, I did a, some very interesting experiments this week uh, that I want to talk about before the show. So the Yori Chisholm Tone Protector Chanter Cap. I want to give it my full endorsement because, uh, so I have my band chanter in there and it's starting to get dry and crappy around here, you know? So we got to band and a bunch of people got their pipes together and you know that really dry, thin, screaming sharp sound that you get at the start of band practice. Um, they all had that. And I hadn't played my pipes, my band pipes in at least a week, if not more, you know, playing mostly the solo pipe this week. And so I, so I hadn't even played it but I took it out of the Yori, the Yori Tone Protector Channel Cat, popped it in there, and that puppy was purring. Super awesome. I was skeptical at first, like, come on, really? Uh, but it totally works really into it. Uh, if you're out there, Yori, great job on the Channel Cap thing. It's awesome. Uh, if we have time at the end of the show, we can talk more about that, but just go to, what is it? Tone Protector dot, I don't know. Hmm. Better yet, I'm on our side as well. yeah, that's right. Better yet, go to pipersdojo.com uh, and uh, we would love to sell you one of those. Okay, we digress. Dojo U Live, first specimen of the week, Ken Allen. Oops, Ken. All right, you, do you have a... You have your notes here, Andrew. You want to talk us through the notes? Oh, uh, I do not. I, I didn't like that. I, I was listening through last week's show. I decided, um, I decided, I think let's listen to it first uh, and then go through the notes. All right. Well, here we go then. With that said, why don't I paste the notes in place so people can read them? Maybe best of both worlds. Nice job, Ken. I mean, Carl, what are your um, what are your general thoughts about that? My general thoughts is uh, this is a hard tune. It is, and it isn't. 
Um, this week's focus, of course, we forgot to mention, was embellishment. Uh, sorry, it was um, excellent tonal quality. And this tune is a little bit of a trap for that. I remember that because, specifically, I used to compete with this tune, and I got nailed for this all the time. Um, the second part is really hard to keep on the beat and not get into that that sort of trap of feeling or pulsing that beat with our bagpipe. Um, and this is not just Ken that did that, but there is many recordings this week where we hear that surge every time we get to high A because we're sort of focused on making sure it stays on the beat and maybe it's a little uh, expressed. Forget that at least, right? Staying on the beat and we get this surge on high A. And that makes us a difficult tune, I feel like, because we have to be super tonally stable to play that second part really, really well. Um, so that's what I think about this tune. I think it's actually secretly a little bit hard. Um, it's yeah. funny. Um, we were in Nerdville a couple of weeks ago, right, Carl? And this is the tune that we used. Like, all right, so let's write down everything that let's write down every single you know objective fundamental that could go wrong in a tune right so we were nerding out about this uh in um it's actually a project i'd love to undertake and maybe need some help with it but you know like how many crossing noises are possible in this part right and then um and then how many beats are there that you that are possible to miss okay let's write those down how many grace notes are there that are possible to screw up and in how many different ways and like embellishment steps and all this stuff. Right. So like, so we, we literally counted up all the things we could think of that could go wrong. And then, and then what you could do is right. You could say, uh, well, you could do that way. Long story short is you could determine a rating of how hard a tune is based on number of possible errors per second. Right. And you would use like an ideal tempo, like a jig should be played at 120. Right. So you could use like you could use the sort of industry standard ideal tempos for the tunes to help you determine that. And Cork Hill had whatever rating it had. We did. It's the only tune we did to sort of like, you know, try that, try out the exercise. And it was however many uh, errors per second. Maybe, Carl, maybe you could look it up at some point during a tune at some point because we have it on a Google Doc. But I digress. The, the important thing is you get to the second part. Right. And the number of possible errors per second skyrockets. It's like three times higher than the first part. Yeah, I mean, just look at it. It's it's the perfect example of an A major arpeggio. Yeah, oh yeah. A, C, E, A, which also happens to be one of the arpeggios that is most likely to have lift drop crossing noises. But I must say, throughout most of the recordings, that was okay. Was, that was not the biggest problem this week. So that's kind of cool. I had a couple that weren't that great, but uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get to those. But, but uh, yeah, so, so there you go. Anyway, over here in our notes here for Ken, uh, good job. Scale navigation, yeah. good. Uh, rhythmic accuracy, not really getting into a groove. And maybe I'll talk about that more in a second. A couple of grace notes, sync errors, uh, embellishment, quality. You know, it's tough in this tune because there's only a couple embellishments so so the fact that the d throws weren't great i i feel like i really went for it with the score because you know um it was like one of the few embellishments so uh d throws not being fully controlled so on and so forth a bit surgy at times tonally and overloading past the sweet spot with some grace note distortions tuning very nice f still a tiny bit sharp i think great job 
we got to find that jig groove a little bit more. And we talked about this a lot in my classes this week as we are preparing for the recordings. And groove is such an important thing, right? And, and it's a hard thing to describe. I, I haven't figured out like the perfect verbal definition of a groove, but it's that underlying recurring rhythm um, that exists in all types of bagpipe light music anyway. Right, and in a jig, it's really simple. It's just that one and a two and a It's kind of a you might call it a triplet feel. That's kind of a jig groove, right? And and it's that's pretty easy. We could probably all do that either with our mouths or by drumming on our tummies or something. We could probably all produce that groove before our fingers become involved, right? Now, not easy to tap your foot to that too. It's just and that's the groovy. And even though the melody is not exactly that groove, you'll notice that all parts of the melody fit on top of that groove. Like all the melody notes, everything that happens in this tune is going to fit into those grooves. You understand, right? Like the chord. See the beat two of Cork Hill, right? That's, this is not a da-ba-da rhythm like I was singing, but it's a da-da-da, right? It's missing the middle groove, but the two notes that are there fit the groove. And that, it's really important that when we play, everything still fits the groove. And then the next thing I would point out is, you know, most of us could probably sing Cork Hill with a really nice groove as well, right? Da-ba-da-da-ba-da, here I go. You might not be as gifted as me as a singer, you know, like you might not have, you might not have my vibrato. Carl, you just made a terrible face. Like I shouldn't have done that little tongue thing. You might not have my vibrato when you sing. You might not be as good as me, but... Uh, but you could probably definitely hit that groove, right? And so, um, and so when we translate everything to the finger work, it's suddenly much harder to stay with the groove, right? Because our fingers have to do a bunch of crazy stuff. But that's the name of the game. And, and Ken, that's really like the bottom line. I think that was the biggest missing piece for you here in your performance is, you know, a lot of the rhythms were kind of herky-jerky, and not really fitting that groove, even though I know that, I know that you could, I know that you understand the groove. It's just a matter of, of getting that in there. Yeah. It's getting your fingers to conform to that groove and having the control to keep them consistent. Um, and that, that's a challenging thing in, in this kind of tune. Triplets, right? It's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work to get those triplets consistent with that nice groove and um, be able to control everything, tempo, size of grace note and keep it all consistent uh, not easy so that's what we're working for anyway uh, I, I, feel like, I feel like Andrew you were a tiny tiny bit hard on the tonal quality because it was still really good despite the surging in the second part still really a nice enjoyable bagpipe there was a surging and then the grace note distortions throughout as well so so he's over the, you're over the sweet spot there Right. And then we had the surges come in in the second part. So I was probably I was probably at like 3.5 for the first part. And then the second part came along and I was like, ooh, got some surges. So then I went down from there. So maybe 
Why don't, why don't you go ahead, Ken, and round that up to 3.25 for me. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, there's always, it, it's interesting the more we do this, right? Like there's always little, you know, there's always little question marks. Like could the score have been different? And uh, Yeah, and, and you hear different things. Like we did these recordings yesterday. I guarantee you, I will not hear the same things that I heard yesterday when we listened to the stuff that we did again today. So it's the fallacy of judging, right? And then, like, think about piping competitions in general, right? There's no way, having done this, we do this a whole bunch of times every week, right? It becomes abundantly clear that uh, the whole concept is flawed, right? Yeah. Uh, Because you feel bad for the judges in a way. Yeah, and it, it definitely it, it makes you know for sure as someone who's done like real world judging, it makes you know for sure like you're not hearing at all when you're judge. You're not hearing all of the details. You're not actually considering everything like maybe you think you are. Yeah. Interesting. Impossible. All right. Well, shall we li- listen to another here? I just want to say my coffee has come out really, really well today. But yes, we should. All right. Then here comes Roger. it's a nice performance really i thought it was a very well-rounded performance it hit um a lot of the categories for me very well um you know there's some small things there but uh i thought it was generally a very strong performance um which is which is cool now tonally speaking i feel like there's there's definitely a little bit of underblowing going on here right And, and so I don't know, maybe I was generous, maybe not, but that's where I, where it suffered a little in the tonal quality is, is it's just missing that little bit. And, and it's something I noted there and I chatted about uh, when I did the review is it's, um, it's just missing that little bit. I mean, and this is very subtle because it was still a super enjoyable performance. Like the, you want to listen to that bagpipe, but it also sort of gives you that question. You know what I mean? There, there's something more I can get out of here, out of this bagpipe. Um, so, Roger, I don't know if you have tone enhancers or valves or something in there, but if you do, that could definitely be contributing to that. Um, and then I think there's some slight underblowing there uh, as well that, that uh, sort of leaves the door open for a little bit more improvement. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I don't know. Like the, the score seems a little high to me, like just on first glance. 
a lot of the rhythmic stuff mm, uh, definitely the embellishments right and then maybe a lot of these uh, quarter eighth combos we're getting to the beat early and then and then i'm exaggerating obviously but then definitely all of these c doublings early to the beat and so me the groove and general accuracy to the beat is lacking slightly in, in whatever but it is really but then at the same time it's like you're right it is kind of really good and uh if three the score of three is kind of like dead average you know even though the beats being rushed and stuff it probably is slightly above average but uh it looks like you're either not in a bad mood yet yeah, I, I, no it was actually i think well, we're gonna see my scores are probably a little bit higher than than uh i don't know than yours we'll see but it, it was consistent across all the recordings i did so there you go i think that was i think that's the important thing though in, in all reality right like let's say you did use this rubric to actually judge a full competition right as long as the as long as the creator of the scores is the same like there's going to be some some variance among scores probably maybe that's what we need that's what we need to work on um highland drone reads are those the yellow ones roger roger's on the facebook live chat is that what that means the yellow ones, I wonder. Um, so uh, speaking of rhythm, right? Uh, we have these uh, great little videos that we made and we might as well use them. Let's talk, let's look a little bit more at uh, the uh, some of the ideas behind basic rhythm and uh, you know what rhythmic accuracy is really all about in this short educational video. Rhythmic accuracy reminds me of healthy eating. Everybody knows fruits and vegetables are good. Broccoli is good. Spinach and kale are good. But what percentage of the population actually eats this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis? Probably less than 1%, if we're being honest. Rhythmic accuracy is the same thing. We all know that when the metronome clicks, or when the pipe major taps his foot, or when you yourself tap your foot, or when the bass drummer hits the drum, or when the leading drummer hits the drum, that's where the beat is. But the percentage of pipers that hit the beat accurately on a regular basis, less than 1%. It's a fact. I've been teaching bagpipers for a while now and things do not look good here. And just before you are tempted to think, maybe I'm in the 1%, I think I got this. Remember that I'm also grouping what I consider to be the world's best pipers into this group. And the world's best band players too. Trust me, the odds that you are hitting the beat well are extremely slim. It's like the Hunger Games. Don't hold your breath on this one. The irony is, every bagpipe fingerwork fundamental I can think of relies on 100% accuracy to the beat. Crossing noises are often caused by our hands being mixed up about when to move. Grace note size and the synchronization of grace notes to our melody notes obviously rely on accuracy to that infinitely small instant in time that is the beat. Embellishments, of course, have to be locked into the beat in order to fit the music. Dot cuts? How can you tell how long a dotted note should be played if you don't have an exact feel for when the next beat will arrive? The bottom line? It's time to get to work and to take exact rhythmic accuracy as seriously as we can. The first step is learning to quickly, easily identify the exact thing that's supposed to be on the beat. 
For example, I'm going to put this music up on the screen. You point at the exact item that's supposed to go on the downbeats and upbeats before I illuminate them. Ready? Here we go. Did your brain go fast enough? The next step, once you're clearly seeing what's supposed to perfectly align with the beat, is to play them at the right time. As I was mentioning before, all pipers start out rushing the beat, or in other words, playing the thing that's supposed to go on the beat before the click of that metronome. For whatever reason, it's just a thing pipers do until they learn to wait for the beat and to hit it bang on. What we need to teach ourselves is to create the perfect solar eclipse between the item that's supposed to go on the click and the click itself. You should honestly not be able to tell the difference between the click and the thing. You should reach totality. Next, take some easy tunes, turn on the metronome slow. We recommend actually double timing it to give you more targets to hit. And let's get real about perfect accuracy and rhythmic control. All right, I think we're back. We're back. Things are happening. Uh, and I turned, Carl, I turned you back on too, so now people can hear you again. There you go. That's a little bit about, um, a little bit about basic rhythm and just talking about the idea of rhythmic accuracy and control. It doesn't go a whole lot into groove, which I think was a big issue throughout the jig. Groove is just kind of like the next level, right, where we're not just talking about hitting the beats accurately, but we're talking about fitting all of the rhythms of the tune into the groove, which is slightly more complex than a basic beat, I would say. But um, what do we got next, Carl? Have we finished with Roger? Yeah, we have. Yeah, he did a good job. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Roger did a great job. So yeah, we've got uh, we've got Beth coming up next here. Uh, so, without further ado, here we go. Another good. You must have been on happy juice. You must have been on happy juice for this. Yeah, um, like this is something we've been working with Beth to to bring those drones a little bit sharper, and I think Beth did that this time, right? Drones are a little bit sharp to the channer, 
but we we missed just one little bit there and that was giving it that extra five percent three percent whatever it is to bring that channel then to match those drones right um so you're you're well on the right track here beth maybe you went a little too far but no i think you just had to bring up that that pressure a tiny bit to then match into those drones and really be uh you know super solid in there but still really good and i don't know andrew's gonna say i was generous here on the score but I can't get away from the fact that it was really groovy, right? It was very easy to tap her foot. So yeah, there were some slight errors there. You're occasionally ahead of the beat, D throws coming a little ahead, some you know, strikes not coming through perfectly, a few small crossing noises, but it was groovy. And, and I'm gonna rest with that because it really is, uh, it was uh, quite enjoyable to listen to, well controlled. And Grace Note Size is coming along, a little inconsistent, but some of them were very, very good sized. Let's listen to some of this again. So for me, the drones are not well locked, right? So that's definitely an issue for me. I'm hearing like quite a bit of beating there between the two tenors and the bass relative to the two tenors. Now, like great, it's not terrible, right? But it's uh, to me, it's not 3.75. And as much as it's really great that the sharpness of the channel thing was resolved. The drones are not in together here. And we really like, I'm really trying to encourage people not to start their performance until those drones are getting one unified sound, you know? Um, so for me, that's an issue I have. And then see how she totally missed the hole there on the low A, like more than one time, right? Beth, very naughty. Uh, miss, totally missed the low A there. That's a scale navigation issue, right? Like, you know, and there's not really any mention of that in how you got to 3.5. So not to say that the score is drastically out, but I, it's too high. Too high here. Like I said, I was seduced with the, the fact that it was really groovy and Beth is continuing to make wonderful improvements. Yes, agree. Yeah. And I'm human, I miss things sometimes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, just, I think we have to be careful when we judge, when we like do these performances, right? Like this is supposed to be an objective, like um, it's supposed to be an objective mm -hmm. uh, thing that we can do. So, you know, to be able to actually measure, it's we're, we're basically, we're trying to measure things, right? We just need to be really careful not to ch change the yardstick, like just because we know how much Beth has improved since last week. And that's not what I was suggesting. Yeah, but you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah, it was really groovy and the tuning, the channel tuning issue was greatly resolved, but like, the, like take just the tuning for example. The channel tuning was better, but the drone tuning was not as good this week. And, and those two qualities go into it. So we just have to be careful, but it's certainly a very good performance. Probably a 67 instead of a 71, you know, not a big deal. All right, let's try it. Uh, what's next? What do we got? Anything? Ah, okay, yeah. Here we go. I can find uh, Just got to upload another, sorry. Distracted. All right, which one of yours you want to do, Andrew? Don't care. Surprise me. So much for the cure. 
separated. <laughs> um, okay, wait. Uh, let me see. What do I want? Oh, sorry. We, we got we got London next. Okay, cool. London. London. This is actually a good one. Here we go. This is actually a really good one, I think. Let me ask you a question, ready? Who whose was better, Beth's or Lyndon's? Uh well, see that's it's interesting because for me, tonally, Beth's was better. Um and I think she, well tuning anyway. I think the tuning was closer in that sense. And maybe that's just you know I'm just asking no. that as I was listening to this is just you know, maybe that's a difference in my ear versus yours. But. Forget the rubric, though. Forget the rubric. Let's say you're judging, right? And you have to decide which score sheet to put on top of another one. Which one's better? Uh, yeah, I think that's clear. My answer is I would have put the I would have put Beth's on top just because you would. It, yeah, it was it, it, the bagpipe for me. It was was a better, more enjoyable um, thing. Now. This is not to attack Lyndon at all, because it's still. That's not my point. That's not my point at all. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, um, I'm into like the process of the scoring process. So to my mind, Lyndon's was better, right? Though just, just, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about rubric here. I'm just talking about if I were judging this competition, if this was grade four senior competition, I'd have Lyndon ahead of Beth. I would. Fact. Um, okay. Now, now. Let's play devil's advocate. Those two performances were extremely similar as far as their as far as their like overarching quality. Uh, but you had Beth ten points higher than I had Lyndon. It's a problem. That's a problem. I want to figure out how to solve. You know what I mean? Deb said. Deb said after Beth. Wait for a computer to do this. That'll give us consistent results. Maybe uh, Deb said a couple points doesn't matter, and that's probably kind of a, a normal attitude, but like here we have a 10 point spread because Carl leaned a little bit on the happy side and I probably lean a little bit on the uh, over critical side. And then we have a 10 point spread on two performances that were really kind of similar. So we got to figure this out a little bit better over time. But uh, so just to review, uh, by the way, I thought the first part, uh, Lyndon's first part was excellent, drastically higher than 61 or 62 points or whatever that is on there, right? 
drastically better than that in the first part. Really, really nice, super tight groove. Great grace notes, scale navigation, embellishments were excellent as well. Uh, even the tuning seemed a little better in the first part, probably because the blowing was a bit steadier. Okay, and then the second part, and we know it's like on paper, almost twice as difficult as the first part. So that's where we had quite a few of the crossing noises creeping in. But on second listen, maybe 2.75 is too low, a little bit too low, maybe. Uh, rhythmic accuracy, we ended up early to all the beats and kind of ahead of the groove and, and a little bit rushy throughout the second part. Uh, single grace note quality, really nice throughout. Uh, a couple little issues. Embellishment quality, really nice, early to the beat occasionally, right? Tonal quality, great in the first part. Second part, hand-to-hand -hand work causing many surges and dips. Tuning, uh, very pleasant to the ear, but the drones weren't locked. And then by the end, they're definitely out, but that's because there's so much surging and dipping and the pressure is not constant in the second part. But uh, interesting, really, really interesting to me. That's really interesting to me because um, it's really interesting to hear Beth and then Lyndon so close together with such drastically different scores. There you go. You know what the solution is, Andrew? You can do all of it yourself. <laughs> all of it scoring. Metal will be consistent. Yeah, but then, but then everybody will quit their memberships, so I'd rather just have the inconsistency. Uh, it's good, though. Let's, I mean, I think we need to tweak the rubric, right? Now that we've done it for a while, maybe we need to go in there and tweak, you know, and tweak it so it's more clear when something should get a 3.75 or not. Uh, and it's one of those things, it's sort of, you know, I, I don't know, I, it doesn't matter to me how many times I listen to it, sometimes I don't hear something yesterday that I hear dead, you know, dead obvious the next day. That I don't know how to solve. That I think is just sort of... Well, let's think about it. The reality of it, but... It's kind of cool. Uh, this, this cerebral discussion has uh, attracted two more people to join the live session on Facebook, so uh, welcome, guys. Uh, and that's really good. So, Lyndon, if you're out there, because, like, uh, you know, that's, that's a really good performance. Indeed. Really good. Certainly compared to past performances I seem to remember from Lyndon. So, real nice job. Uh, how are we doing for time? We, we've got about 20 minutes left. We're doing all right. This is fun. Do we want to talk about... Uh, no. About? Nope. Let's listen to the next one. Okay. This is not one of the, just carrying on the theme from last week, this is not one of those shows, you know, where everything is carefully thought out and everything goes well. Uh, for example, you know, I don't even like our scoring rubric anymore. <laughs> uh, this happens when you let kids play with your scoring rubric, Andrew. You make you feel bad about it. <laughs> We don't do it well enough. <laughs> yeah. That's true. All right. I mean, wait, no. You guys try really hard and um, it, yeah, gold star so for true. effort. Like next week, I'm going to sit down to get ready to do all the recordings. What am I going to think about? It's like, man, I was, I was too good. I was too nice last week. So everyone's going to get like twos. <laughs> uh, no, that's not. We're going to try not to do that, but. Anyway, here comes Andrew. I don't want it to be like that, right? I don't want, I want you to feel comfortable in a safe space. 
So, sorry, I'm pausing it there. Because I think so far, really, really good. But, um, unfortunately, we're going to have some problems here in the second part. Okay, before we say anything, can I say, Andra, those D throws were really, really excellent throughout, even in the second part. Uh, so uh, uh, to me, considering how I remember you playing D throws not so long ago, that's a, a huge achievement and you should pat yourself on the back. Now let's talk about what happened in the second part. Carl, take it away. Well, there was, there was some rather large lift drop crossing noises and i, I think it's just the, the reason i want to listen to this one is because i think it really is a, a perfect example of the difference between the the difficulty between the first and second parts right and and that's just clear so andrew i know in my scores i, I offered some suggestions here in terms of maybe how to address these crossing noises in the second part working on those a major arpeggios or maybe just keeping everything a little bit more open there, um, your finger work a little bit more open, even if that means introducing some phantom crossing noises, also known as a tiny bit of false fingering. I think that's okay. Um, yeah, certainly it's going to have better results and we can work to close it down from there. But uh, You just have to practice it. I'm willing to bet Andra doesn't sit around practicing arpeggios. Andra, is that what you do? Do you sit around practicing arpeggios like regularly for good solid periods of time every day? Not really. So there you go. Right? You should. Start with the A major one. <laughs> um, but yeah. Other than that, totally. Okay, we had the surging on the beat for sure. Um, and that was a little bit evident in the first part as well. Just you're, you're trying to get in that groove and your whole body is grooving. So try to keep at least the top half nice and stable. Um, but other than that, drones hiding a little bit behind the mic. I think the mic is just too right close. In front of your channer. Yeah, too close to the channer. Close. Um, so I'd love to hear more there. That being said, they were in tune. And we heard a perfect example right at the end of where you are really working well to blow in the, um, in the sweet spot because you finished the tune. Brilliant. Well, the two parts. And then you hear the pressure drip, drop significantly as you went to cut off. Um, so that's good. You're, you're hitting the sweet spot. And I think there's a lot of positives there in your bag. Yeah. Bagpipe sound definitely. Bagpipe sound definitely 72.5 makes a lot of sense to me. <clears throat> uh, for sure. So I think you nailed this one. I think this one looks good. Um, first time recording with band read. Interesting. It's good band read. I like it. <laughs> it's powerful. Those arpeggios, though, you have, like, that's not optional. That's the, that's the downside, right? It's like there is, no, there is no situation where any crossing noises are okay. It's certainly relative to how well you're doing everything else, right? 
Like you really, you know, you really have to practice arpeggios every single day to get rid of this. You, you know what I mean? Because it's so far behind the other things that you're doing developmentally. Sounds like I'm evaluating someone's child, but I'm just evaluating your piping. Like uh, the scale navigation, and, and I'm just speaking, I know Andrea and I've listened to her play a lot, right? We have crossing noises all the time when we're moving like in, in an arpeggio pattern all the time. We really need to, you know, so dojo you tutor. How's that exercise go? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, good one. Nice one there, Carl. That's what... Yeah, and then and then do that like like Andrea. When you're getting the pipes warmed up, do that. When you're getting your fingers warmed up before you practice your tunes, do that. Like do that for ninety seconds. Every you know, do that for ninety seconds before you play anything, and you know, and you will get better at it, and you'll become more aware of of the adjustments that you need to make when you when you hear a crossing noise like that's the thing maybe that that's the thing that maybe disappoints me the most right like carl had that little crossing noise because his hands are probably cold and he uh you know he's been giving you've been giving too many you've been giving too many cigarettes to babies and stuff over there in france uh but uh so you know he's probably his his conscience is probably uh getting to him, but he heard that crossing noise and he was immediately like, Oh my God, that was so crap. Okay. And then, then he played the rest of the exercise really, really well. I think the, I think it's okay to hear a crossing noise, right? But then you instantly need to click be able to click in and be like, Oh, let's not let that happen again. Yeah. Right. And make and that adjustment. One for that exercise, introduce dots and cuts in there. Mm -hmm. And that will immediately bring you back down to having to eliminate crossing noises but um yeah it's really really good yeah great exercise and that's a good performance andrea like you know you just uh it was a lot like it, it was reminiscent of linden's right it all changes when we get to the second part yeah it went from like really great to like ooh, maybe <laughs> maybe not okay cool if we can actually get the project off the ground to to sort of objectively look at the possible errors and give like a an objective rating to how hard a tune is it becomes very obvious why why these yeah why why the second part is harder it's objectively harder uh maybe we could train a troop of chimpanzees to do it that would be better <laughs> you know shall we listen to one more there or at least one more at least yeah let's let's do one more uh for sure all right, here comes Hart. I think you've got his score, right? Yes, I do. Uh, yes.
So Hart, have you played this tune before uh, this week? Uh, that's my question for him. He's off in the Facebook chat, so you gotta wait for the delay for him to hear that question. But all right, Carl, why don't you give your why don't you give your thoughts, and then I'll give my thoughts after. It's interesting that you asked whether he's played that before. We'll get to that, but um, yeah. So it's it's sort of like a classic performance in that sense because it starts off pretty good, and then we get a little bit of um, added mistakes throughout each time we go through a part. Um, so maybe a little nervousness or something in there. Um, but it started out pretty good groove, but by the time we got to the end of that second part, there was a ton of rushing. Obviously, we also have some crossing noise errors here as well that need to be addressed. Hart says he has... About those enough. Hart said he did play Hart this tune pre-dojo, just, just as an update. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's, the, and, and I think this is probably why you asked, Andrew, is what we heard in here is a little bit of that competition pressure that has leaked over into this. This That's sort of the way that we change things when we learn it for competition sometimes and we um, have leftover habits like rushing at the end of, uh, at the, end of the part or a phrase. Um, I feel like that can be a negative consequence of some people who compete, who compete, who compete. Competite. Um, Les compete. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So for me, the biggest takeaway is just there, there's not nearly enough attention to detail here. And, uh, and so like, you know, and, and so I just try to look at some of the stuff, like many, many large crossing noises, particularly in the second part, like there are probably, as many note changes in, in what was just played here with crossing noises than without, like probably. Um, and so needless to say, like unfortunately leads to a very s small score. I think if you played this slower, more carefully yeah. with a lot of attention to detail, I am sure I've heard you play really, really well. I'm sure you could do this well. The reason I asked if you'd played it before is it kind of sounds like, this performance kind of sounds to me like, Oh yeah, I know this one. Let's let's do this. You know, where you know, maybe we need the maybe the approach needed to be you know, oh, uh let's let's re let's redo this with all the new things that I've learned. You know, that that maybe would have been a better approach. Uh you know, slower, you know, building it up, getting all the grace notes in the right place. Uh rhythmic accuracy. Actually, I I thought this was one of the better parts of the performance is that I was kind of able to tap my foot a little bit and, and get into it and nod my head and I could definitely feel the jig vibe happening. So that's a win, right? Like, I think that's okay. Uh, still, I'd like to hear a metronome so we can really like dig in deep. That's- What was in there? Oh, I, I thought that was his foot. It doesn't matter. Oh, maybe. Single grace note quality. The, the quality of the grace notes is okay, but you're playing the wrong grace notes and leaving a whole bunch of grace notes out and just not really playing the correct stuff in the right place. Okay, so that's, you know, the grace notes were okay, but we need GDE combinations, you know, not just GDG and then the next one is empty and, you know, like let's get that detail work in there. Embellishment quality, okay, needs to be cleaner, especially D throw. Tonal quality, not too bad. Tuning, not too bad. Drones not really locked, and the chanter's a little sharp to the drones there. 
but just it just needs more attention to detail, right? Uh, and that's what led to a bad score. Uh, and I'm sure that, <clears throat> uh, well, I'm pretty confident that uh, you'll play parts three and four a lot better just just with that kind of uh, orientation that was offered by, uh, you know. It's Humble Pie, right? Cork Hill. Cork Hill's an easy tune, and I've played it before. So, you know, I get to take a little vacation from the, you know, really hard work of developing fundamentals. I think that happens. That happens naturally. It happens to me in the band, like uh, when I, when I, you know, play for Inverary. I have to be really careful, right? Oh, Tom McAllister, you know, that's the, this is, this is not actually true. It's been in the repertoire for a while, but I remember when it was new. Oh, Tom McAllister, I know that one. Uh, and then, then it got to be like a couple weeks out from the competition playing. And then I, you know, that's when I actually really start to drill down and practice it hard. And it's like, oh crap, I'm not actually playing this as well as I'd like to be, you know, and I, I'm not as sure as I'd like to be about, you know, what parts come next and stuff. And then. You know, you get a little humble pie and, and then, then you can course correct and it happens fairly easily. So I think it will. Interesting. Hart says, thanks for the feedback. Definitely didn't focus like I should. That's okay, Hart. Clearly, I don't focus as I should either. Otherwise, if I did, the rubric would be more consistent. So, uh, so did Roberta, has Roberta earned the closing spot again this week? Why not? <laughs> I think so. Well, I like it. I mean, um, someone has to step up and challenge Roberta. She, she, she's dominating. And, uh, you know, what can you say? It's like the, she's like the best player on the basketball team, you know? It's like you want the ball in her hands if you're down one point and there's 30 seconds left to go. Carl's like, we don't play basketball in France. I, I, I don't play sports <laughs> at all, ever. But here we go. That was nice. Yeah, it's groovy, but a high tempo, not easy to do. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I thought it was really, really a nice you performance know, there, Roberta. What you got here? Scale navigation four point two five. Scale navigation's not perfect. There's a couple little micro catches going on every now and then. Uh, not perfect, but certainly excellent. Rhythmic accuracy. Yeah, like like uh, generally very good. Sometimes not always in the groove. Like in the ending phrase, rushing the E to the C strikes. 
exaggerating. I'm exaggerating, obviously, but we have a great groove, and then we'll get to these little points where it's not quite perfect. So we just kind of we kind of want to spread those out across the beat and play them a little bit more dead even at times, but uh, real nice. I like it. I like it. It's really good. Tonal quality. Uh, to me, tonal quality is still probably higher than that, even though I agree that underblowing in the second part for sure. And, and so we, yeah. hear, we hear some of those crows on high A and stuff because it's not quite fully blown. It's probably just 1% too low. The reason I didn't go for a full four there was through the whole tune, I'm hearing just that little bit of, of movement. And, you know, that's sort of a symptom of being as close as she is, I think, like this, because it is so well in tune. You hear that little deviation in the blowing. Yeah, but what'd you give uh, Beth in tonal quality? Did you, didn't you give her like a 3.5 in tonal quality? Uh, <laughs> I'm doing something you can't do, right? Which is... Uh, which is to uh, demand you justify two things that are completely unrelated. So yeah, uh, I gave her a three five. You did? Yeah. So Roberta's tonal quality was only 0.25 greater. So this isn't this isn't about you, Carl. This is about my rubric. I am uh, I'm criticizing I'm criticizing myself here. It's not you know what I mean. It seems like. <laughs> I try to make it feel like I'm criticizing you, but really I'm criticizing myself. I'm trying to pass off some of the, <laughs> some of the humiliation, I'm trying to pass it off. So there it is. Yeah, I, I don't think it needs to be perfect, but, but yeah, we need to, uh, it's gonna be known as uh, the, the Beth Linden paradox. We have to solve the Beth Linden paradox, which is, which is two performances that are probably pretty much the same that get 10 points different. We got to try and figure that out. Yeah. So good show today, guys. Cork Hill, an easy tune. It's always good when you have an easy tune. That's me being... That's, the good submissions. Let's get lots more for the third and fourth parts. Yeah, that was pretty good. What else we got? Cruise. Dojo You Cruise. So what we do is March 3rd, 2019, we're setting sail from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We're sailing around Caribbean on the world's biggest cruise ship. I know technically there's a new ship now that's like three feet longer or whatever. I saw some, some people in Florida just played for the naming of, of the boat. Yeah, I don't like that boat, whatever that boat is. I'll like it when we book our next cruise on that one, but... <clears throat> Um, but yeah, and then we are, uh, we are going to be having a piping school aboard the cruise, but listen, it's not like, uh, it's not all day, every single day, right? That's not the point. And you know, and that's kind of what makes it cool for you and your spouse to come because, uh, we're, when we're sailing, when we're sailing at sea, we'll be doing piping school from, you know, just after breakfast to just before dinner. And we're going to be learning hard with some great instructors. What, Carl? Gotta run. Oh, you got to run. Everybody. Andrew, wrap it up for us. Oh, wow, Carl. 
This is sad. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss have, you, buddy. I have lessons after this. <laughs> okay. I'm going to miss you, buddy. I have to be on time. Yeah, we'll see you. Uh, we want to see you all on the cruise. Andrew, take us out. Yes, exactly. So, um, so then there's learning, but then there's lots and lots of time for like strict vacationing. Uh, and so it, it'll be a healthy balance of, really healthy balance of vacationing and learning. So, um, you know, lots of time to spend with whoever you come with on the cruise and stuff. So anyway, check out cruise.dojouniversity.com if you're even remotely interested, because like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, we're very close to our goal of just making the whole thing sustain itself. Um, so if you can imagine, it's very expensive to bring our instructors on the cruise. Uh, you know, it's flights plus their entire cruise fare. Um, and so to afford that, right, requires a certain number of signups. And we're very close to not losing money on the project. So if you're even remotely interested, we need you. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. Uh, you know how to contact the dojo. So, okay, that's it, folks. Really nice job today. We'll see everybody next week. No, we won't see everybody next week because it's uh, Friday after Thanksgiving. So we'll actually probably see you in two weeks, but we're going to carry on with, uh, anyway, we'll talk about this later. Okay. Bye.